Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Scout Series podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. We're pleased to be joined by Justin Horowitz, a special assistant in the Red Sox organization. Justin previously was an area scout for Southern California, and one of the players he signed during his time there was Jaron Duran, then a second baseman at Long Beach State. Duran obviously made his way to the majors this year and is now the Red Sox starting center fielder, really the culmination of a pretty substantial prospect rise over the last few years. We're happy to get Justin on today to talk a little bit about Jaron and what he saw in him at Long Beach State and the transitions he made both from going from second base to center field and some of the swing changes he made to go from a guy who hit three home runs in three years at Long Beach State to hitting 15 home runs in a very limited sample at AAA this year and getting himself to the majors. Justin is kind enough to join us from his home in Encinitas, California. Justin, you've held a number of roles in the Red Sox organization since you graduated from Georgetown. You've been an area scout in a couple different regions. You've been a cross checker and now you're a special assistant. What's your ride been like through baseball and what are some of the things you've really picked up just being in so many different roles over the years? Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been lucky enough. I think this is my 10th year with the Red Sox. I've, like you've mentioned, I've had a few different roles. I was lucky enough to work in the front office as well and then uh, did a couple different areas and cross-checking and being involved with the draft and a few different things. And um, the experience has been amazing. Uh, I've learned so much. I think you pick up so many different, uh, different things along the way, uh, doing those different types of roles uh, that have molded me into the, the scout uh, and the, the assistant that I am today. So I appreciate all the opportunities, absolutely, that um, the guys that I've worked for have given me over the last 10 years or so. Um, and hopefully I, you know, I do my little part to help the Red Sox get better every day. You were an area scout in the Pacific Northwest for a few years. Then you were an area scout in Southern California. Two talent-rich regions, but two very different regions. What did you pick up? What were some of the main things you learned in your years as an area scout? And how did those two regions really differ for you? I think uh, the one thing I really picked up quickly in the Northwest is that talent can come from anywhere. Um, geographically, obviously, it's a huge region, um, but the player lists aren't as long perhaps than you might get in some of the other areas of the country like southern california for instance that being said like you mentioned the talent's rich uh there's some really really good baseball schools in that area and there are a bunch of high school kids um that come out that have impact 
in professional baseball as well. So um, you dig out there, man. You go on long drives uh, and you got to work really hard to uh, uncover the best talent um, across a number of different states. Those guys up there in the Northwest, I know they work really hard. Um, and then in Southern California, it was a little bit different, right? Geographically, so much smaller, um, so much more dense, uh, but players at pretty much any game that you show up to, which is super exciting. You're constantly on your toes uh, and you never know what you might find out here uh, because like the, the talent is so good. The competition is so good each and every day. Um, and uh, you can definitely find some big leaguers under rocks still. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All my years covering in the area, there were always guys in regions, especially some of the lesser known regions like the Inland Empire, San Bernardino County, where maybe not getting as much pub, but you always find guys that there's just talent everywhere. Exactly. And the guys are constantly getting better. Um, year to year, you have to uh, stay on top of it because like you said, um, before you know it, there's some really good players right under your nose that um, you should be very much aware of. You only graduated in high school in 2009, graduated college in 2013. So you were one of the younger area guys on the ground. What were some of the biggest things you picked up or, or you were told by some of the more veteran area guys? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me when I started was just being at games and, and you know, keeping your mouth a little bit closed and keeping your ears open and trying to listen to some of the stories that these guys would tell about, um, you know, under uh, like uncovering big leaguers, right? And and the lengths that they would have to go, um, especially in the past, to be able to find some of the kids that, um, you know, I watched growing up in the big leagues on television. And, and so you just pick up things along the way, like things to look at um, on the field, different talents, different skills, different tools, uh, instincts, makeup. Uh, that's a huge one, I think, just getting the chance to pick some brains and some veteran scouts, some of the kids that they talk to. Um, and in their amateur years, what made them a little bit different on the mental side? What separates the kids on that end of the game that helps them as they move into professional baseball to separate themselves there? Um, so um, up in the Northwest and in Southern California, obviously a great mix of both younger and, and more veteran scouts. And I think it was really cool to be able to pick some brains and learn a little bit from everybody. Obviously, this podcast is going to be mostly focused on Jaron Duran, but I do want to talk about the first big league you signed, Stephen Nogasek. What were some of the things you saw in him, and what were some of the things that you saw that these older scouts had told you about that you're able to pick out in him? Yeah, absolutely. Stephen, um, the thing that stuck out to me was, uh, at least on the bump athletically, he was, he was a great athlete. He was a really good mover. He was a twitchy mover. He had arm speed. Uh, he had velocity, but also a fastball that played, I thought, in the strike zone. He was able to miss some bats, uh, and he could spin the baseball a little bit. Um, and so in the middle rounds on day two, I thought it was a pretty good opportunity to land a kid who, um, you know, had, a, had some interesting qualities and ingredients to work with already uh, that I thought could get better with how good of an athlete he was. And then as it relates to some of the things that I learned from other scouts on the makeup end of it, um, I, I competitiveness was something that really I learned from other scouts deeming it how important it, it really is uh, for some of these kids. And then with Steven, it, it really stuck out to me when I got a chance to meet with him and sit down with him. Uh, he had a really good understanding of who he was as a pitcher um, and what he was trying to do to attack hitters uh, out of the bullpen for the university of Oregon. And, and like I said, his competitiveness, he was, he was going after everyone. 
Um, he believed in his ability, and, and that really stood out. First big leaguer is always pretty special. What was it like for you seeing him get to the majors? I was really happy for Steven. Um, I got to know him a little bit. He seemed like a great, great guy that would really, you know, passionate about the game of baseball um, and believed in his ability and worked really hard. All these kids have to work so hard to accomplish their goals and their dreams. And so uh, when you get uh, to see that happen in real time, you, you feel really, really good for those guys. Um, Steven himself was a unique case. Um, he was actually traded from the Red Sox to the Mets uh, and he debuted with the Mets. Uh, so I got to watch that on television and I thought, um, you know, cool experience for me, but awesome experience for him. I was really happy for Steve. The big one, Jaron Duran. We're going to jump into him a little bit. First, we're going to take a quick break. And we're back with Justin Horowitz, a Red Sox special assistant in amateur scouting. Justin, you were in Southern California as an area scout just for one year. But in that one year, Long Beach State was part of your coverage area. And they had a second baseman named Jaron Duran who could absolutely fly when was the first time you saw Jaron Duran and when did he first kind of pique your interest? The first time I saw Jaron play was uh, the fall of his junior year at Long Beach uh, during an inter-squad scrimmage that I attended at, at Blair Field. Um, and I vividly remember the first time that I saw him, he stuck out to me for his physicality and his, the obvious strength that he had in his body. Um, the athlete that he was and the speed stuck out pretty quick once uh, I, I saw him hit a ball in the gap which I told this story to a few guys but um, he hit a ball in the gap uh, and he was rounding second base and I was kind of watching the base fall out in the left center field gap but then I saw this blur kind of across my peripheral vision and he grabbed my attention I was like wow that kid can really fly um, and uh, you just you don't see those types of athletic explosive tools especially at the college level all too often so um he definitely grabbed my attention that first day I saw him you mentioned earlier how these guys get better and if you go back and look at Jaron Duran's pedigree he went to Cypress High School just outside of Anaheim which is a really really good baseball school but it's not like this was a guy who was a four-year varsity guy or was an area code gamer or anything like that He's on varsity for two years. His teammates there included Dominic Fletcher, who's now in the minors in the D-back system. So again, it was a good baseball program in a good baseball area, but it's not like this guy was a PG All-American or an area code guy. Went to Long Beach State, a solid program, but again, not like he was recruited by the SEC schools or anything like that. Then he just kept getting better and better and better. As you got to know him and watch him a little bit, how much did you grow to appreciate that this was a guy that just every year just seems to take another step. Yeah, that, that's one of the best things I think about Jaron's story is, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that he didn't even sign with Long Beach State uh, until his senior year of high school at Cyprus. And, and um, I believe, again, that I think he only had a couple of Division One baseball offers. Um, but again, it's a testament to Jaron's, you know, his confidence in himself, his work ethic, his competitive nature. Um, he didn't let any of that stuff phase him, right, about not being a quote-unquote prospect. Um, he just went to work, and uh, he obviously got to uh, Long Beach and turned himself, I believe, into a three-year starter at second base, competed, um, and, and turned himself into a legitimate uh, draft prospect by his junior year. As we mentioned, he was a second baseman at Long Beach State. He's now an outfielder after switching positions shortly after you guys drafted him. 
What were some of the things you saw where you said, I want to put this guy in the outfield if we get him? Yeah, I thought, um, you know, Jaron played a decent second base. I really had no issues with um, how he played it over there. Um, he handled everything that you kind of expected him to at second base. I just thought his his electric speed was a, and athleticism was a little bit bottled up maybe at second base. And I thought, hey, kind of unleash this kid out in center field and you might have an impact defender one day. Um, like I said, no issues at second base, but I thought you could kind of come on to a little bit extra value or, or at minimum some versatility if he could go out there and prove that he could do it. And it's not easy to learn center field if you've really never done it before. But again, uh, estimate to, to Jaron's work ethic and commitment. Um, he went out there as soon as we drafted him, he was willing and open to make the change and kind of went to work. And I think he's still learning that position. Um, I think he can continue to get better and continue to uh, provide more value out there in center field. But um, I think so far, even in the big league level, he's, he's playing it pretty well for us. It's a big transition. And I remember seeing him at high class A Salem when he was in that first full year of learning the position. And you could tell there was definitely a ways to go, but like you mentioned, the speed and seeing just how much ground he covered in the gaps, you definitely understand that, yeah, like you said, this is a, an athlete like this. Give him room to run and see what happens. Exactly. The other part of Duran's game that's really become different, aside from position switch, is in college, he was a guy who not a lot of over-the-fence power. You mentioned drive the ball to the gaps. And some of that is a function of playing in Blair Field. A lot of Long Beach State guys, we see this just because it's pretty cavernous there. The Big West in general, there's a lot of parks that are not hitter-friendly parks at all. So a lot of these guys just, hey, hit the ball on the ground, line the ball into the gaps. And at the time, that was kind of his game, beat out routine ground balls for singles, drive some doubles, but uh, not a lot of over-the-fence power. However... You guys got him into your system, made some swing changes, and him starting to hit home runs has been probably his biggest developmental step over the last two years. What did you see there that made you think maybe a swing change like this was in there where he could tap into some more power? Yeah, so I think that, um, as you mentioned, Blair Field, tough place to hit. Some West Coast offenses, um, they just wanted Jaron to – take advantage of his best tool at the time, which was his speed, right? And the pressure of the defense and, and to just light a fire on his team. And he always put together good at bats and, and he did a good job of what they asked of him. Um, the one, I think maybe misconception about Jaron was that in college, um, he wasn't weak by any means. Like he was muscular. He's, he's a beast now, but he was muscular and athletic and explosive and strong, even in college. Um, again, just considering how hard he worked off the field in the weight room uh, to get bigger and stronger. And, and he would flash some, some raw power in BP uh, before games. And he would say, hey, like, you know, it's not his game right now, but it's in there. I promise you it's in there. And I think there's going to be a little bit more coming because I know how hard this kid's going to work to continue to get bigger and stronger and more explosive. And so I just said, hey, see what happens if we get this kid in our system. He's a good little player. We can, you know, make some changes with the kind of athlete he is and how strong of a work ethic he has. So testament again to our player development staff for working with this kid, suggesting some changes that he could make to his swing path to get a little bit more loft, to connect out front. You know, he's dropped his hands a little bit um, and that's really helped him. And then obviously, you know, most credit to Jaron for, uh, putting in that work and being committed and open-minded because that's not easy to do to make a swing change like he did. 
especially at the higher levels when he's had some success already. Uh, and he, he went all in. And I think, uh, you know, so far it's, it's paid off for him. You look back at Long Beach State, he hit three home runs in three years, had a 377 slugging percentage. So just looking at the performance, you wouldn't guess there's power in there. But as you mentioned, this is where it's important to take context into account, Long Beach State, the Big West, and seeing the raw power. And how much raw power did you see out of him at that time? Yeah, I saw what I probably was grading out to be about average big league raw power. He definitely could get it out to the pool side. And when he got extended and he stayed in the ground and he leveraged well, um, he always had bat speed and he was always strong, like I said. So he would flash you one every once in a while where you're like, hey, it's in there. Like I said, like he's, he can hit the ball. He can compress, compress the baseball. Um, we just got to get him to do it a little bit more consistently in games and you might have something here. Is there ever any hesitation when you're looking at a guy like this who you love the athleticism, you love the strength, but you're talking about a lot of changes. Hey, we got to change his swing. Hey, we got to change his position. Was there ever any hesitation there? Because that's a lot to change. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I learned from other veteran scouts over the years, uh, you probably hear it all the time at the yard, is that there are no easy fixes in this game. Um, and I totally believe that's true. But the one reason why, why I stuck with Jaron on this one um, was that I just thought this kid was super athletic, he was super explosive, and he was really, really hardworking and competitive. And I knew that he was going to stick his mind to something that he could um, potentially make it work. Obviously, the odds um, were stacked against him in that regard. Uh, making changes is really hard in professional baseball, significant ones like we asked him to do. But, um, you know, I thought he might be uh, a rare case where it, it was worth the gamble. Certainly shown himself to be worth the gamble. He rose pretty quickly through the minors, even considering a lost 2020 season, made his major league debut this year. I do want to circle back to the makeup on him because Jaron is a very, very, very quiet kid. It's a lot of one and two word answers, not the most expressive. How do you dig into a guy's makeup like that when they don't really talk or share much and aren't really very expressive? Yeah, I, I noticed the same thing too when I first met Jaron. Um, I didn't think he was a man of many words per se, but um, I could tell that he was intense and that he was confident um, and that he was super passionate about baseball because when you started to ask him questions about his game and his opponents and different things that you kind of picked out about how he went to the yard every day, um, he would open up a little bit and, and, you know, that's maybe his personality is to be a little bit more quiet, um, but that's totally cool, man. Like he's, I knew again, right from when I met him, like he was a tough, hardworking, focused kid. Um, and he's continued to be, uh, despite all the success that he's had up to this point, and, and hopefully he continues to be uh, as he moves forward in his career. You like the explosiveness, you like the athleticism, you like the intensity. How did it go from, I like this guy, to he becomes your guy's seventh round pick? Sure. Um, honestly, that might be a better question for the guy who deserves the credit for selecting him, Mike Rickard, who was our scouting director at the time. Um, all I can say to that is that um, when I went in to make my yearly presentation about the players that I was responsible for in Southern California, I just said what I've mentioned um, to you here before. It's just this is a super athletic kid. Uh, I think there's a little bit more upside here than maybe the statistics have shown in his performance in college up to this point uh, because he's so athletic and because he has one unique tool because this kid can really, really run. Um, and he's strong and he's explosive. And 
those are the type of athletes that uh, I think that our player development staff want to get into our system that we want to work with and we want to take uh, take some gambles on. So that's all I really said. Uh, and again, I said, this kid's going to work really hard. Uh, I, I'm totally convicted in that. And uh, I worked out. But again, credit to Rick, Mike Rickard, and, uh, and the staff that was in the room at the time for, for going out on a limb and, and picking the kid in the seventh round. When does that take place in the process? You make your presentation on your guys? Yeah, I think it varies team to team, I would guess. But um, most of the area scouts, I would estimate, uh, make their big yearly presentation uh, a month, maybe three weeks before the draft. Uh, and they talk about every guy on their list. So um, depending on the area, that could be anywhere from 30 players to 80 to 100 players. Uh, it really just depends on uh, where the scout is in the country. And then being in Southern California, you had a lot of players on your list to talk about. Where was Jaron for you? Did you have him higher compared to maybe industry consensus? How did you kind of stack him up against the rest of the talent in the region? Because there was a lot. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I think I probably had him fairly close to industry value. He's definitely surpassed my expectations. I'll be the first one to admit that. Um, I just, uh, I think that again, it wouldn't surprise me industry-wide if, if scouts were higher on Jaron than maybe some of the other evaluative tools that we use um, to, to look at amateur players just because um, as a scout, he was an easy player to like. You go to the yard and um, he's got that electric speed. He's got bad speed. He competed in the box um, and he handled himself pretty well defensively and he was confident and he competed. And so those are the types of players scouts like for sure. In terms of once he got into your guys' system, he's going through the transition to center field, some swing work was starting. How much did you continue communicating with him, talking to him through this process? What was it like beyond just draft day? Yeah, um, I don't communicate with Jaron all that often. I kind of let him do his thing, um, shoot him a text here and there. We connect over the phone um, every so often. And I would just check in on him. Um, honestly, a lot of it just outside of baseball, just really seeing how he was doing. Minorly life, as we know, can be a grind at times. Uh, just making sure that he was okay and um, he was enjoying it and was enjoying his experience and that he was working hard. Um, and uh, every response I ever received from him was always very positive. And he just said he, he loved working every day and he was going out and competing. And um, that was always good for me to hear. You mentioned he exceeded even your expectations. He went out his first full season in Salem and was hitting 400 for a lot of his time out there. Ended up at 387, got promoted to Portland, really kind of put himself on the map. What were the expectations you had for him and how quickly did he exceed them? Yeah, definitely right away he exceeded my expectations. Uh, I think uh, to say that he was, you know, better than I originally thought. I just really wanted him to go out and uh, string together good at bats uh, and put his speed to good use, put pressure on the defense, compete in the way that I had seen him compete in college in many ways. Um, I knew that the transition to center field would be a new thing for him. So that was something I was hoping that would go well and something I was just interested to see as a scout myself, how, how that experiment would run. Um, and very quickly, um, it was nice to see that he was able to um, perform and exceed expectations, especially on the offensive end. 
Yeah, made the futures game. And then during the 2020 coronavirus shutdown, a lot was written and talked about the swing adjustments he was making, the power he was showing. And obviously the alternate training side is not a real game environment. You're seeing the same arms every day, but there was some video evidence. The Red Sox would put some out. Where it's like, yeah, no, this looks different. How much were you tracking that? And, and ultimately what was your assessment of it? I was definitely tracking and paying attention and I would watch as much video as I could get my hands on to say the least. Um, again, I, as a scout, it was super interesting to see uh, some of the changes that we were recommending as an organization for Jaron to make and then to seeing, you know, how an athlete of his caliber could apply them in game. Um, so I was, I was definitely paying attention. Um, I was really excited to see some of the, performances he was having at the alternate site but like you said um wasn't exactly real baseball we really didn't know how to value uh that kind of performance so when he uh was able to start the year in AAA uh and compete and continue to put together good at bats and make adjustments uh I definitely uh it was definitely good to see and I, I was really really happy for Jaron um which obviously culminated in his promotion over the last couple of weeks which is which was awesome for him he had a, a really, really cool summer run. He was selected for Team USA's Olympic qualifying team, went out there, played really, really well there. I remember it was kind of fun because I, I covered him a little bit, saw him at Long Beach State, then I saw him again at Salem, then seeing him again with the U.S. Olympic qualifying team. And you could just see the progression. Every year, two-year increment, you saw him getting better and better. And then gets his first major league call-up, makes his debut July 17th, first major league at bat facing Garrett Cole, singles to center field. Where were you when that happened? We were watching on TV. How did you see it? I was actually at uh, JJ Altabelli's wedding, our, uh, our now Southern California area scout. Um, and uh, a few of us were, uh, you know, had it up on the phone for just that one quick at bat during the reception, waiting in line at the bar. Uh, and uh, I think it was the first pitch, hit a laser right back up the box. We all gave each other high fives and uh, put the phones away uh, and uh, had a good time with JJ. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, also it's a happy occasion regardless, but what was it like for you just seeing your guy that you believed in like that get a first major league hit's always amazing, but Red Sox, Yankees, Garrett Cole on the mound, just the circumstances of it. What was that like for you? Yeah, it's a pretty unique a uh, surreal feeling that's pretty hard to describe, to be honest with you. Um, there's definitely some reward value to say, um, you know, I put in the work to go watch Jaron and, and see uh, what he could become. And, and you uh, put it on the line a little bit to say, hey, like, I think this kid could provide some value for, for our organization one day. And so uh, to see that fulfilled to some degree is, is a really cool feeling. Um, but honestly, most importantly, I was just super happy for Jaron because I know, like I said, I said so many times here for the last 30 minutes, I know how hard he works and uh, how much he deserved that moment. So I was super happy for him. Yeah, obviously he's settled in and becomes the Red Sox everyday center fielder here down the stretch as the team competes for a playoff spot. So certainly doing some good things, kind of put into a big situation here right away. But as you talked about, he's shown kind of the mental strength to handle whatever pressure's thrown his way and whatever changes are thrown his way. And now it's just about continuing to make adjustments in the big leagues. Yeah, you hit it on the head right there. Uh, it's all about adjustments and he's playing well. He's bringing energy um, offensively. You know, it's not easy, I think, to step in and, and compete on a team that's playing for a pennant um, here down the stretch. But 
um, as long as he, you know, puts together good at bats and, and makes adjustments, he's, he's going to be just fine because I know that uh, he's working hard up there for sure. Justin, congratulations on having another big leaguer and one as prominent as Jaron, and uh, we look forward to seeing the rest of his career for sure. Thanks so much for having me on, Kyle. I appreciate it, and, and thank you for all you guys do for scouts around the game. Um, it's awesome, and, and we really appreciate it as well. So thank you. Our pleasure. Once again, that was Justin Horowitz, a special assistant in amateur scouting in the Red Sox organization. Really, again, just kind of a cool rise. I uh, started as a baseball operations intern, moved his way up, and ended up being an area scout in the Pacific Northwest, area scout in Southern California, moved up to cross checker, and I was a special assistant. So uh, clearly someone on the rise in the front office, and deservedly so after signing a talent like Jaron Duran. And it was great of Justin to join us and talk a little bit about what he saw in Jaron and the processes he went through to help make him a member of the Boston Red Sox and a big part of their future. This has been another edition of the Baseball America Scout Series podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Justin Horowitz, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.